You're listening to the New City Church Podcast. These episodes are recorded live on Gadigal land. Sometimes the audio quality might not be perfect because what you're listening to is a conversation. We don't edit out the chatter. We think that's what makes it authentic. Wherever you're tuning in from, we hope you find this episode encouraging. Uh, a guy who comes up to Jesus, has a question, what must I do to in- inherit eternal life? Um, and it comes from this really genuine guy who seems to be very faithful, obviously has a very committed life. He's followed the commandments since, since he was a boy. Uh, and Jesus, after a little bit of, you know, no one's good except God alone. Jesus, you know, I'm not going to tackle that one tonight. <laughs> uh, but Jesus tells him, go and sell your possessions. Uh, but it's too hard for the man. Uh, And then he turns to his disciples after the man has walked away and then he just bangs on about how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God like multiple times. It's like you've got to take a camel through the eye of a needle. That's how hard it is. And his disciples are so broken and they say it's impossible to be saved. Uh, Jesus is like, no, no, it's all good. It might be impossible for humans, but for God it's possible. Uh, And then Jesus provides some comfort that, All this hard work of kind of giving up the things, you know, your family members, your households, the fields, um, you'll actually get that back. And you might even get more of that. And a hundredfold, I think, is what the passage says, as well as eternal life in the age to come. Um, So that's all clear as mud. Yeah, we're all following that conversation. We all good. I'll just drop the mic here and walk away. Um, So I thought let's do a little crash course into some context for this passage. Um, We'll do that. I hope it's not too heady. If things are like this is way too much information, just like take the stuff that you can and don't worry about the rest. I'll consolidate later uh, because then I'll just get real deep and philosophical and reflective after that. So (laughs) um, as always, May this be a little springboard to um, some fruitful pondering into um, the life and the story of God and how that meets you uh, and not an authoritative teaching um, which is final and that you have to accept in full. So let's grapple along and have a little conversation. So some helpful context on our first slide um, is that in the Hebrew Bible, otherwise known as the Old Testament, there's a general understanding of life and faith, which is that life is about well-being in earthly existence and death, when you die, you go to a neutral place of the dead called Sheol. And I've just brought up a Bible reference from Job, which kind of captures this. As the cloud fades and vanishes, so those who go down to Sheol do not come up. They return no more to their houses, nor do their places know them anymore. It's very neutral. That's just where people go. And there's generally no concept of an afterlife. Um, I always have typos in my slides in most of the Hebrew Bible. Um, A little snapshot. And I remember, I don't know if you remember when uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and there were some really beautiful tributes to her after her death, um, just celebrating the kind of the quality of life that she examples and a lot of people talking about this Jewish understanding of death that she lived it well she exampled the Jewish life really well and then now she's done amen um then we reach this period in Jewish Jewish history which is 
Second Temple Judaism. Um, and it's when this kind of basic concept uh, of, of the view of life and death is a little challenged. Uh, and it seems to be kind of grappled with during this time. And they kind of transform some of these Jewish ideas because the Jewish people experience a huge national trauma. And it's that the Southern Kingdom of Judah is conquered by the, the Babylonian Kingdom in 587 BCE. Again, don't take the details if you don't want them, take them if you do. Uh, we have stories about this in Two Kings, Two Chronicles, some of the prophets. Uh, and it leads to the Jewish people really questioning uh, the justice of God in the earthly life. Like, if this is what happens, is this all it is? Um, like, WTF, God. Uh, and so during this time, from about 200 BCE to 200 CE, is this Second Temple Judaism. Uh, and there's a bunch of apocalyptic literature get, that gets written between the Old Testament and the New Testament during this period of time that not many of us have ever seen because it's not really in our Bibles, um, but it's called the Apocrypha. And it's a bunch of writings that are written in a literature that's called apocalyptic. And apocalypse basically means revealing a revelation so they worked really hard when they named the last book of the bible when they were like this this thing is in apocalyptic genre let's call it revelation great very creative uh, but it's not a literal bunch of writings they're not literally describing what's going on they're a bunch of narratives in which something is revealed to a human recipient through an otherworldly experience so it's often showing a transcendent reality, a supernatural world, uh, and often relating to kind of salvation ideas. So in this period of writings, we get concepts for the first time in the Jewish history uh, of ideas such as bodily resurrection, immortality of the soul, reward and punishment and divine judgment. Uh, and eternal life which first appears in daniel 12 2 in the bible so up until that point no concept of eternal life no real concept of afterlife but this is where the jewish people are really grappling with these ideas of salvation and afterlife and this concept of two worlds which was in our mark passage so um this world this age and the coming world the world to come, the age to come. So we've got eternal life, that's a big concept that enters here. And then we've also got this idea of two ages, the age now and the age to come. And eternal life is related to the age to come. That's a lot of info. If you didn't take it all in, you're all good. That's just a crash course in some of the context around this. And we read it in our passage. Mark 10.30 says, in the age to come, one receives eternal life. If it's not making sense so far, that's all good. Um, our next, my next like dump of knowledge, and then I'm gonna bring it all together hopefully so it kind of makes sense to you, is in exploring, um, I think it's on our next slide, the concept of eternal life. So, Maybe do we just need to take a little break, stretch around, I don't know, <laughs> do what you need to do. Um, but this Greek word, zoane, 
I, I, I can't get it when I first read it. Ionion. So zoane, Ionion, is this Greek phrase. I'm going to be bringing that up a little bit tonight. Um, and zoe is really easy. I'm not going to go into that, though we could also go into the interpretation of zoe, but it basically just means life. I'm not going to deal with that. What we're going to really look at is this adjective which defines that life, Ion, ionios. So the noun, ion, you might be familiar with in our English language, um, is a long period of time that may or may not have an ending point. And so in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that word also comes from a Hebrew word, olam, which means long time, and an Aramaic word, alam, which means long time. Don't worry about that stuff. That's just for the nerds if you want to know, like I'm putting it all <laughs> in there. And I, <laughs> I saw some people do appreciate it. Uh, next slide. Um, in the New Testament, ion can mean world, or often it means age or period of the world. And so, if that all blanketed over, over you, hence, we might translate ion as age or eon, or more specifically, an age that is enduring or long-lasting, a world or a period of time that may not have an ending point. That's just the key bit that you want to take home. So ion, we might translate as age, or eon, and it could be enduring or long-lasting or a period of time that doesn't have an ending point. So it's an age that's long-lasting. So then we get to, that's the noun, then we get to what the adjective, ionion, ionios, might mean. So this is the quality of something as lasting the eon or enduring the age. So life that is described as Ionios might be life of the age or life of the age beyond the resurrection from the dead, a qualitative difference from mortal life. Don't worry, I, I'm going to bring this together if you're so lost. So Ionios means eternal, unending, everlasting for all time, but primarily of quality rather than of time. If this is confusing you, don't worry, I'm going to bring it back together. So hence, take this one. Wait, we might translate it as describing something like the age to come, like an enduring eon, or like the next world beyond resurrection. So this adjective might be translated as describing something like the age to come. It's something that's like that period of time that could be without end. So we're trying to capture the quality of something that is like that age. Next one. And so my conclusion is that life described and defined as Ionios is life that has the qualities, 
character, nature, essence of an enduring world or eon. Life that is Ionios is life that is like the age to come. So the nature and essence of this kind of life has the qualities of an everlasting, enduring age or eon. If you're a little lost, that's all good. But just to gauge the room, who's kind of with me? Okay, I got most of the room. We're all kind of like semi there. Um, so life like the age to come. Life like an age. Another little character quality. If you don't want to add this on, don't worry about it. Just stick with that. But another little wonderful quality of that is, next slide, when we get into how this Greek word is translated from the Hebrew and the Aramaic, we see the way that this word is used in the Old Testament um, to describe God's covenant, to describe God's laws, to describe God's name or God's love, to describe God in and of God's self and to describe God's everlasting kingdom, dominion, and sovereignty. And so generally we see it translated as eternal. But it is like God's covenant. It's like God's laws. It's like God's love. It's like God. It's like God's kingdom. It's like where God dwells. So put simply on our next slide, God is also Ionios. God's character and nature is Ionios. The things that God instills in and shares with the world, for example, law, love, are Ionios. God's dominion slash kingdom is Ionios. So Ionios life is life like God and life like God's kingdom. So hence, we might say that obtaining or inheriting Ionios life means entering into the life of the world to come, entering into the kingdom of God, and entering into the very life of God, God's self. Who's with me? All right? So, bit of a crash course context. I'm going to try and pull this together for us. In the Gospels, we're told that a heavenly, godly kingdom is brought down by Jesus. We're told that the very life of God in Jesus is brought into this world. And in Jesus, there is a new way of existing and being and doing that is inaugurated. It's incarnated. It's captured in and permeated 
through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So Jesus brings an alternative way of living, an alternative way of being and doing, which is the very presence and reign of God into the world. And what seems to be the case is that when people encounter and they participate in this new way of doing and being, they actually participate in and encounter the life of the world to come, the life of the heavenly realm, or simply the life of God. And so we might understand Zoane, Ionion, eternal life as that tangible human experience of God's presence and sovereignty interacting with us. Jesus brings down access and instills in the world life that is qualitatively and quantitatively different to just everyday life. And encountering God's life is actually described beautifully by the mystics. So this person called Hube Wellsen describes it as a breakthrough experience of an ultimate reality which has a radical impact on a human life, in which the awareness of time is absence, which is immediate and all-encompassing, where a person is drawn out of their own existence into the existence of God. And the person not only wants what God wants, but they want it so much and so perfectly that they can no longer want anything other than what God wants. One way that I've thought of describing this is like having a backstage pass. So um, for, for a number of years, I volunteered at a music festival. Uh, who goes to music festivals here? Or well, pre-COVID <laughs> and maybe post-COVID. Um, so I would be at about three or four music festivals in a year and I absolutely love music festivals. I love live music. I love the atmosphere of like just being in a crowd of people. Gosh, that brings me anxiety now though with like three weeks to surgery and I'm like, don't get COVID. Uh, like dancing around, the lights, the music, it's a beautiful experience. Um, but what I also know about music festivals is that the lines for food and drinks are long and then you wait there for a little while and then by the time you get to the front of the line you're like damn it this is so expensive um and then we move to the toilet situations they are getting better but again long lines and then you get to the front of the line and you're like do i really need to go anymore <laughs> um but for this one festival i was a volunteer and i got a triple a pass access all areas. Um, I got to soak up the atmosphere in the crowds, do the things that I love doing, but then got to show my AAA pass and uh, get in backstage. And instead of lining up for food and drinks, I got free food and drinks. And instead of like sharing toilets with heaps of strangers, I shared toilets with just a few people. Um, and one of the coolest perks was that you know, if you wanted to, you could be out kind of enjoying the atmosphere. Um, but if, like, say your favourite band was there and instead of watching them from, like, hundreds of metres away, seeing there was a little speck on the stage because everyone else is there to see them too, got to show the AAA pass, get backstage, 
actually get on stage and dance with some of my favorite bands. And then after they performed, I even got to meet them and talk with them and then use a bathroom with them. So when I was thinking about this, I was thinking like to have eternal life is to have upgraded access to life that has the qualities of the age to come. You get backstage access to the personal life of God and knowing God intimately in a way that maybe you get to talk to God, maybe you get to share a bathroom with God, I don't know, dance with God. We get that backstage access. Does it kind of make sense? All right. I'm going to chat a little bit about, I'm going to wrap up some of that at the end if it still still doesn't make sense to you. Hopefully I've got one more shot. Um, But I just wanted to briefly pivot to this second question that I'm trying to answer tonight of how do we inherit eternal life? And I think the easy answer, very simply, is that uh, the access is, the AAA access is both uh, passive, we get it, but it's active. We have to do something to do it. Um, going from the passage, it's only possible with God. Jesus says it's as hard as a camel entering the eye of a needle. Yet Jesus does tell the rich man, it's possible. You just need to do this. So this image of active, passive, passive, active, participation in the life of God is pretty common. I think we sung a little bit about it before. Um, But it's common in the Hebrew Bible. I'm just going to give you one example. It's from Isaiah 52. And after the horrible national trauma that the Israelites experienced, the God of Israel is described as returning to the people in exile with a wave of redemptive power. And Yahweh goes out before them and the people go out with Yahweh participating in God's redemptive presence. Here's just a little snapshot. For you shall not go out in haste and you shall not go out in flight for Yahweh will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. So God's going out. We're going out with God. Like there, it's like kind of passive but active at the same time. It's a little dance. And I think that inheriting eternal life and entering the kingdom of God means that God moves ahead of us and we follow God by participating in everything that God is doing on the way. This manifestation of God's new way of being and doing. We actually get to participate in bringing it down, in the incarnation, in the making tangible of God's new age, of God's new kingdom, of God's new community, of God's new way, of God's new life. We are absorbed into it, incorporated into God's powerful, redemptive permeation into our world. Jesus' ministry is the act of people encountering the life of God. And as they do, people are invited to become involved. They simultaneously receive the life of the world to come, the life of God, and then act upon existing 
and living differently. We've just moved through Easter. And what I see in Jesus as God moves towards the cross is there is so much violence and harm. There are unhealthy narratives. There's people acting in fear. There's likely a lot of trauma there. There's priorities of an unfair government that uh, wants to privilege the powerful and keep control. And Jesus actually says, it ends here and I won't perpetuate it. So the violent, harmful, unhealthy, toxic, often automatic because they're around us and they're handed down to us, these ways of being and doing, of living, will end here and I will not perpetuate them. And so Jesus moves through instead with empathy, nonviolence, reaching out, inviting in, healing, forgiving, living. And ultimately, it's this kind of living that wins out. It's a different kind of life. It's a life of a different world, of a coming age. It's the very life of God. In Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Jesus shares the life of the world to come with us, and it's a gift. And yet also, we're asked to follow. Jesus in the Mark and story looks at this guy and he loves him and then he challenges him. And we're invited to see a different way of being and doing and change our lives as we encounter it. To build up the treasures of this heavenly realm, not of the ones of the world around us. We receive it and we enter into it. So I think... As Jesus' disciples, we follow God in ending those violent, toxic, harmful, capitalistic, oppressive, automatic ways of being and doing. And we say, it will end with me and I will not perpetuate it. And apparently it's costly. If you're comfortable, I'm going to raise my hand. You don't have to. You can just join in generally in this participatory exercise. Uh, who here is in therapy doing hard work? Whoop! <laughs> who here is becoming aware of automatic ways of thinking and being and trying to actively stop them from being perpetuated in your own life? Mm-hmm. Right, you're in good company. Who here is healing? setting new boundaries, learning, growing in empathy, increasing vulnerability, shifting priorities. Yes, amen. Who here is realizing that ending automatic ways of being and doing its freaking hard work? Uh-huh. Maybe you're also working on not buying into the narratives that we're exposed to, perfected social media feeds, bodies that look like this, houses that look like this, a job that brings me status, believing that aspects of your identity make you better than others when really they don't, that you deserve more, your carbon footprint, or not recognizing the ways the system makes it easier for you than other people. Maybe you're doing the work by making different priorities in your life, by choosing not to chase after finances or success or the social media field by choosing to pay the rent because we live on stolen land, taking a pay cut because another job aligns with your values better, volunteering your time 
not buying products you love because they hurt the earth, buying from small businesses because they're run by refugees, opening your home to someone who's housing insecure. A lot of us are doing this hard work and we're doing it as a community because the desire for the treasures from this world, the automatic narratives from this world inherited from workplaces, friends, family, they're strong. And the cost is real too. Who here can relate to losing friends, family, loved ones, losing community for the sake of a different way? Who can relate to that costly nature of losing relationships when you change your life? But then eventually finding friends and family and community who bless you hundredfold. I remember when I came out in my church, uh, my previous church, not this one, um, and I was excluded from participating in everything. And I remember my community group, who was like my greatest friends who were family as part of that community. I remember them just being silent. They didn't stand up for me. They didn't have words of comfort. And they didn't even really reach out to me after I left. And I bump into many of them now, and it's mainly small talk. But they were my family. And it took me time. But the friends I made and the family I've encountered since, people in this room, have gifted me in a way that I didn't know was possible. This is where we get to the hopeful part. I'm wondering who here, when you do the hard work, feels like you're being transformed into something better. Tangibly feeling and seeing fruits of less pain, greater connection, more time to give to others in a healthy way. Maybe you're seeing the way your time and energy has bloomed in another part of the world or your own home. Maybe you have the more time for creativity, for caring for creation. Friends, I think when we move in this direction of less pain, greater love, increased connection, enhanced well-being for us, for those around us and for creation, we move into the life which is described as the life from the world to come. Ionius, eternal life. I think we take steps towards life which is described as being from the heavenly realm. We take part in receiving, cultivating, encountering and perpetuating. We take part in incarnating the very life of God. We inherit it and we participate in it. We follow Jesus by saying those unhealthy ways of being and doing, living, end with me. It's costly. Sometimes it sucks. It's hard work. But the reward is great. Maybe it's not perfect or the fullness of the life to come. But Jesus comes to give us God's life. Jesus comes to bring God's life to us. Jesus brings it here. Jesus brings the reign of God into our lives. So we get backstage access to the future fruits now. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, 
you lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. What's in the way of your inheritance? What do you need to give up? What do you need to surrender to God's help? Because it's kind of impossible without God. What are the things that are sitting with you as you reflect on this? Because there is a beautiful blessing and a beautiful hope that's awaiting on the other side of costly work. And we get to do that together. I'm going to pray for us. God, as we absorb language and big ideas, may you distill it in our hearts so that we know you better, so that we know your life better. May we encounter you and may you help us to do this costly loving and living, which brings us closer into your heart. And God, I pray for this community that we may together learn how to bloom and grow to full life into your life. Amen.